The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Elizabeth Miller. She's a psychotherapist certified in treating personality disorders, specializing in treating narcissistic personality disorder. She also works with individuals who are or have been in a relationship with someone with NPD. In addition, she has worked with numerous couples and families to navigate the complicated process of divorce, parenting plans and property division. In today's episode, we'll delve into three essential questions about narcissism. What do narcissists want? Why do we give them what they want? And why is it so unlikely that a narcissist will change? Let's get started. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That's great to hear. Let's get started with the questions and today... The first question that we have is, what do narcissists want? Okay, well, that's a big question. What do they want? Okay, so if we talk about what the what the narcissist wants, we have to talk about the internal void. And in the internal void is emptiness. And there is no connection to self. There's no insight. And there's a yearning, if you will, to mean something to someone or have importance in the world, okay? So because of the internal void and the inability to self-validate, the narcissist seeks external validation. And external validation is is how we uh, come up with the idea of the narcissistic supply. So when we say what what does the narcissist want? They're seeking a narcissistic supply to fill these parts of themselves that they cannot fill on their own. It's the simplest way to put it. So when we talk about narcissistic supply, we talk about primary ways to fill the narcissistic supply and secondary ways to fill the narcissistic supply. Um, Primary narcissistic supply is... uh, what we would consider more attention-seeking behaviors, uh, things that make them notable, um, things that bring them notoriety or power, power in their positions at work, uh, their desire to be famous or even infamous, uh, a sense of having control and a sense of relevancy in a large large way. the secondary sources of supply are more personal. These actually are forms of uh, supply where the narcissist is trying to establish a more comfortable or normal lifestyle, if you will, with possibly family and children. They are seeking a guarantee of love and adoration. from their partners. They are uh, seeking um, relevancy with their faith communities and and in their communities in general. And so this is more at an intimate level. Mm. 
Mm, I'm thinking to what is that categorization based on why the other one is called primary ways and the other one is secondary? Like, can you explain why it's like that? Um, well, it's it's a categorization that was created uh, to help people understand that I think we think of narcissism more in the primary way, right? That they are grandiose, that they're attention seeking, that um, uh, they are doing things to feed their ego and and that we can um, really identify somebody who's a narcissist by these behaviors. Um, secondary being more, um, I'm not going to use the word covert. It's it's just a different way of um, garnering a feeding of what they're needing um, on the inside, right? So this level of this is more about love and adoration and um, people thinking that they are just like everyone else having a family and friendships. And so I, th I think it's just a way to distinguish between what we see and what we may not see. Mm, okay. Does that yeah, it makes sense. I have a few more questions about this. Mm, what do you think? I have heard that what do narcissists also would want is someone kind of that they can project their negative emotions onto, so kind of a repository, like a, like a trash can for their negative emotions that they can just break them onto them, so they do not have to, they do not have to deal with them by themselves and internally. Is that also what do they, what they want, or what would you say to that? What they, what they want is not to feel shame, which a lot of them feel. They don't want to feel criticize they don't want to feel negative feelings about themselves so one of the ways that they discard those feelings is by projection onto others so i can't say that they want to project their feelings it is a function that they've used to discard those feelings about themselves so they assign them to someone else they're trying to get away from this void of like I said, not having a sense of themselves or having self-loathing. A lot of them have self-loathing. So they have creative ways of, of uh, discarding those, those feelings. So, you know, this is when they project the false self, right? They, they may, people may think that they believe they are the person that they project, but that's really not always the case. You know, they they have uh, they have the ability to recognize that they are not what they claim to be, but they'll never admit that. They'll never admit that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it sounds like they do then have some also like self awareness, right? Would you say if they do, but they, they just don't want to admit that, but somewhere there they know. Uh, level of self-awareness. Um, yes, I would say that they have a level of self-awareness, but not the way we think of self-awareness. Understanding why do we do what we do? Um, they know they feel bad. 
They know they don't like the feelings of, of uh, self-loathing. They don't like the feelings of emptiness. Um, but do they then plan to say, okay, I'm going to then, you know, project my feelings onto someone? Um, no, I don't believe so. It's just a natural occurrence. They have, let's say, a toolbox of things that they can do to get away from those feelings that they have. And I don't even know that they would be able to identify it as self-loathing. It's it's a um, felt sense, if you will, that they have, an internalized state that I've had people identify um, in my office, but they're very quick to then shift it to either blaming someone else for the feeling or um, finding some way to quickly discard it. Mm, okay. Final follow-up question. Uh, we have been talking about their, their void and mm -hmm. why they cannot feel it on their own. Why do they have to seek out this validation? The feelings of shame or emptiness are intolerable for them. They're intolerable. They can produce a narcissistic rage. Uh, they can have depression. Now, can they identify this as why? Uh, no, but this is uh, the way, the only way they know how to fill that space. So they'll seek it in, in a multitude of ways. And in a personal way, this is where we we get into uh, like starting to date someone and people talk about love bombing and it's people i want i want to reframe love bombing a little bit yes it is to win the person over but the narcissist needs to know that the person they are with will always see them as special so they're not doing it just to lure somebody into a relationship with them. They're doing it so that, so that they know they carry that title of being special because they have special behaviors, because they um, are excessively loving and gift giving. It's their way of convincing themselves also that um, they're special or exceptional mm. yeah then i'm thinking about the second question it's about kind of why do we give them what they want when they are looking for this narcissistic supply which can be the validation admiration reassurance power control um why do we often give them how do they get them get us to give them what they want. What do you think? Narcissists, uh, people with narcissistic personality disorder have an uncanny way of knowing what their audience wants. Uh, they are able to be a chameleon and become what the person they're communicating with needs. Uh, 
And so in personal relationships, once they identify somebody that they would like to be with, um, they're very good at honing in on the things that uh, the other person is desiring and they mimic that behavior. Um, And so once you become involved with somebody with narcissistic personality, let's say you've gotten through the first stage where uh, you think you've met the love of your life, you're overwhelmed with um, how amazing this person is. Uh, And then they start the devaluation stage. Why do they continue to give them what they want? This is where cognitive dissonance comes into play. Because if you think about cognitive dissonance, what it is, it's two competing beliefs that you may hold or two cognitions that oppose each other. For example, a simple example would be if you have a value, you say, I I don't gossip, and then you're with a group of people and you find yourself gossiping. Um, It creates confusion and discomfort for the person because they don't understand potentially why did I violate what I want? Well, it could be because they wanted to participate with a group of people that they liked. And so they, they let go of what was important. So with a narcissist, uh, how cognitive dissonance plays out is they're fully immersed in the relationship. They've built trust. Uh, they, they believe they're in love with this person. And then through the devaluing stage, they start to experience negative behaviors from the narcissist where gaslighting starts, right? You think one thing is happening and something else happens or they do it differently. One day you have a behavior from the narcissist uh, where the narcissist is okay. And the next day you have a behavior where the narcissist is angry about something that occurred the day before and it becomes confusing. So we give them what they want because um, we want to continue the relationship. And certainly the person that was, uh, the person that we met in the beginning still must exist, okay? So we start to believe that some of what is causing the problem is ourselves. And the narcissist is very good at getting you to believe that you are a part of the problem or you are the problem, okay? That's when manipulative behaviors start. In a relationship with a narcissist, the ground is always shifting, okay? Because the reality for the narcissist is always shifting. It's very mood-driven, it's emotion-driven, and it depends on what they want on any particular day. So, the person who's in relationship learns to creatively adjust uh, and try and become what the narcissist wants because the narcissist has creative ways of, of convincing them that it's their fault. There's gaslighting, there's blame shifting, uh, there's stonewalling. There's lots of tactics that they use to get someone to doubt their reality. Um, Narcissists will accuse people of behaviors that have never happened and they will cite things as if it's factual and the person will 
will question themselves. And this is a slow eroding over time of um, your own beliefs, your own values, and your own sense of self. Is this answering your question? Yeah. Uh, so let me just kind of ask for clarification. So the way they get us to give what they want, which is narcissistic supply, and in a relationship, it could look like that we always put their needs first, we are always putting them first, we are making sure that they have their emotions, like which is that they are like, okay, emotionally, and that we give them power and control and validation, admiration, reassurance. And the reason we go into this weird state where we might not even recognize ourselves anymore is because of the cognitive dissonance. We are willing to either, we might have some values, we might have some, uh, because you first gave the example of the gossiping thing. So we, we might have some values that we are ready to compromise or let go completely just to please the narcissist because at the same time there is manipulation, gaslighting, blame shift, shifting, that they have made us to believe that it's our job to make sure that the relationship is balanced, like good all the time, and uh, that we are somehow the root cause for the problems in the relationship. So we end up, you know, giving them more and more and more and more. And it's this never ending trying to fix it, trying to give what they want. Is this something like, what do you think of my, I don't know, how do you call it that you summarize, like my way of summarizing this? What do you think? Um, no, I, I agree. I agree with all of those things. Um, I think you did a nice job summarizing it. In the beginning stage with a narcissist, uh, we feel people feel that they have found a relationship that they have always wanted okay and this stage can last quite a while and and there's so there's a foundation built on trust on positivity um you know on a belief that this is um, the most loving relationship they have ever experienced and when the narcissist starts to practice these manipulation tactics, they're a shock to the person's system, but they don't necessarily cause them to leave. So if, if there's a, a form of manipulation like gaslighting, the person receiving it may be angry or confused um, and but they will go to the narcissist to talk about it, right? They think they can actually collaborate with them or work through it and have a meaningful discussion, not realizing that the only outcome from that will be that the person who's been manipulated will be blamed. The narcissist will not mm. take responsibility for it. And this is insidious. It doesn't happen. As, as as quickly and as uh, uh, wholeheartedly that we feel like these people uh, sweep us off our feet, the breakdown of the person through these manipulative tactics happens over time. And what's important is 
the narcissist is very good at breaking each incident into a singular event. Okay. This is why this happened. This is why this happened. This is why this happened. This is what you did here. This is what you did here. And the, the, the person in the relationship starts to track with what the narcissist is saying. Individual, individual, individual. It's not until they're able to get some objectivity and step back that they see a pattern of behavior. Mm -hmm. It's not until they're able to see that this is an actual pattern of behavior of the narcissistic cycle that they're trapped in. Um, so, you know, why do we give this to them? Because we believe, uh, we believe that we believe what they tell us. They, we believe that, you know, even though some things seem obvious that, um, they did something to hurt us. Uh, they always have an explanation. Uh, they have a way of stating it that makes the partner believe that they somehow share in the blame. And narcissists are tremendously um, talented at shifting the feeling state. So if you come to someone and say, with narcissistic personality, that you're upset by something that they did or hurt by something that they did. They're very talented at bringing their own feelings to the table. And before you know it, you're taking care of them and they're wounded and they're hurt because you've thought these things of them. Mm. Have you heard of something called the Karpman drama triangle? I'm sorry, the drama triangle. Yeah. With, uh, uh, if you're speaking about the um, roles that they play with the victim. Yeah. Uh-huh. The victim, the... Um, Perpetrator, rescuer. And, and the rescuer, yes, I have. Yeah, I, I was have. just thinking that's a little bit sounds like that there is like narcissist often uh, fluctuate between the perpetrator and victim. That like in mm -hmm. that case, you gave an ex uh, example that you go with your feelings, you want to express yourself, you say something that they did hurt you or something like that. Then all of a sudden, they might go to the victim mode because they feel hurt, like they feel hurt. And sometimes they mm -hmm. are in the perpetrator mode where they just, you know, uh, verbally are very aggressive or they are aggressive and uh, argumentative. And you are usually forced to be in the, for example, rescuer, you're like, oh, okay, sorry. And what do you, have you ever like thought, um, like, yeah, do, does that make sense? Yes, yes. I've actually seen this play out in my work, right in my office. I've seen someone move from um, different positions um, when I'm doing couples therapy and the partner is a narcissist. Um, uh, yes, very quickly they can move from uh, victim to perpetrator. Uh, mm. One that people don't think about uh, is they'll be the perpetrator. They will uh, inflict great emotional pain on someone. Uh, and for some reason they have this desire to to inflict pain to the to the point where someone is, let's say broken down, crying. Um, just just feeling uh, bereft, let's say. And then they like to move into the rescuer position 
where they'll come in and they'll want to hold the person and comfort them. And it's so confusing for people who are in these relationships because they are the person that is the cause of the pain. And now they want to come in and rescue you. Mm-hmm. And if, if you are to say, I don't want that because you did that, then they will very quickly move to the victim. And that's where the manipulation comes into play with, um, we keep referencing gaslighting, but there are lots of tactics that they use to get you to question their, uh, question your reality. Uh, Yes. So I have, I have seen this um, in my office happen. That's just so manipulative that you, someone first causes you pain and then comes as this, you know, that they are, that they rescue you. That's very confusing, confusing. It's like, yeah, someone makes you cry because they are so hurtful. Then they come and try to hug you and say, it's all right. And like everything. Yeah. It's so confusing. Well, in a lot of relationships, uh, the narcissist has successfully helped you to make them your primary source of relationship. They're very good at uh, getting you to let go of meaningful relationships, creating a divide even between their partner and their families. So they, they make it such that, that they are your source of comfort and, and, source of um, emotional stability. So it is very confusing and it's, it's, uh, it's very frightening to people because if they are uh, experiencing emotional upset because of the narcissist, yet they can't feel that they, or they believe they cannot contact anybody for support, they often will allow the narcissist to help them. But this started long before this rescuer perpetrator um, experience. This started earlier when they were convincing you that you didn't need the relationships that you had, that you had too many friendships, that you were too close to your mother. And these are the things that they tell you so that you become isolated with them. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think um, all the things that we have now talked you gave a really good answer to the how do they get us to the state where we give them the narcissistic supply and what they really want um then we have also a question why is it so unlikely that the narcissist will change it's probably the biggest question i get is can they change And so many people want to believe that they can change. Uh, Change has to be motivated by a desire to improve yourself that comes from within you. I always say the same thing to people. Change comes when you look in the mirror and say, I am not okay with who I am. I need to do things differently. I'm destroying behaviors or or I'm sorry, destroying relationships or I'm hurting people I don't want to hurt or I'm not succeeding uh, with relationships at work. 
but it's, it's that moment of truth where you say, this is, I'm not okay. And that is, is uh, a level of, of, of vulnerability and shame that is absolutely intolerable to narcissists. So the motivation to come into therapy usually is, uh, and to work on change is usually uh, instigated by somebody close to them, their spouse. Um, I, I work with narcissists, uh, I have a specialization in that. And they often come in and say, well, I'm here because my, my spouse says that I'm a narcissist. I know I'm not. So we need to kind of take care of this so I can let them know that you you agree with me. Um, so it's, it's an exercise rather than an investment into themselves. Um, change requires uh, humility and vulnerability, responsibility taking. And it, <laughs> for a narcissist, they have to believe that what they're doing to hurt other people um, matters. And because they lack empathy, um, they really don't care about how they're hurting others. They reframe it in a way that, that uh, makes sense to them. So they don't really have to look at it. But in my training, we looked at different types of uh, treatment for individuals. I mean, some, some researchers say that there are forms of treatment that can be helpful. More often than not, what I find is uh, people want to come in and work on potentially some behavior modification. Um, and instead of identifying that they have narcissistic personality, they will come in and say, I need help with my anger management, right? Um, they'll identify or pluck out certain characteristics or certain behaviors that are causing problems. When I do this work with them and start to get closer to the core of some of the character issues, if you will, that are happening, closer to the personality disorder, that's usually when they leave. Um, and, and they say they no longer need my services or they decide that I am, don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so if a narcissist was to obtain uh, treatment, not just management of behaviors, but true treatment, they would have to be willing to uh, look at possibly doing trauma therapy, look at the therapy related to attachments or poor attachment they were young when they were when they were young. Uh, look at things that happened in their life. And even then, um, that does not suggest that they could make a change. Uh, and most of them, in my experience, have not been able to successfully uh, go to those places without without pulling out of therapy because it's too uncomfortable. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking, because you mentioned that you have, you know, treated couples where the other uh, other one is narcissistic or like a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you seen, what is the, how do I, let me think, how do I ask this so it makes sense? What is the most 
kind of improvement that you have seen? Like, what is the best outcome that you have seen in your career when the other spouse is a narcissist or very narcissistic person? Best success. Um, I have one individual that I have been seeing for a number of years. And I I cannot say wholeheartedly that he has narcissistic personality disorder, though he has very strong traits. And his father um, is a narcissist. And he's middle-aged and he has um, a life that he, he's created a very nice life with a very loving family. And um, he came to me saying that he was told by his wife that he's a narcissist. And what I'd experienced with him is a commitment to therapy. Um, he is willing to acknowledge when he's had behaviors, um, when he relapses, as he says. Um, and he is willing to go to places uh, to the level of vulnerability that others have not been able to. For some reason, he's able to acknowledge that, that the cost of losing his family um his his ability to look into the future and, and know that his cost of losing his family would be devastating for him so he's willing to keep himself in regular therapy i see him every week and and i would consider him a success and in my training we talked about maintenance uh, or persons of high treatability and i would consider him someone of high treatability um, but that is, that is definitely the exception, not the rule. Okay. What is average then? What, what would you say average results or outcome or yeah. Well, first off, they rarely come to therapy. Oh. So <laughs> they rarely come to therapy. Um, and, and that's why the numbers, trying to identify the research numbers and, and how many of them are in treatment, it's very difficult because they so rarely come to therapy. The average um, experience is they are brought to therapy by a spouse or a partner. Uh, they are resistant. Uh, they are argumentative they are defensive and they are very proud of themselves that they've come to therapy. Okay. They, they take the attitude of I'm here. I did what you said. So what do you want to do? And the partners often feel that because they've gotten them into a, a therapist's office who works well with this personality disorder that they establish hope and, and, and that's understandable. So very often the partner will start to outline their experience with um, their narcissistic partner in my office. And the one thing I can, I can do is I can control the communication 
Right. So the things that happen at home with interrupting or uh, or blame shifting or stonewalling, um, I can I can uh, protect against that in my office and give the partner an opportunity to to say what they need to say. Though I have had people walk out, just walk out, say, "I'm not going to do this. This is you know this is unfair." When am I going to get to speak? And I and 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 uh, they do get to speak. People, these these people that come in that are being accused of being narcissistic feel if they wait, they'll feel very supported by me. Um, in the sense in the therapy, um, so we do that. I provide education. I try to work on empathy um, and and really hearing what their partner's saying, but they're just so well defended they they are so well defended um and then often what happens is they'll try to win me over and and they'll go home and say this is what i heard her say they'll use my session to gaslight and say no 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 what you heard is not what you heard i heard her say this so you know i have to be very careful um but so i'll get a few sessions with a couple um and 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 then usually they end that's the average experience yeah okay i have heard that you have to be very careful anyways when thinking about couples therapy if you are involved with the narcissistic person or narcissist so what are your thoughts about couples therapy with the narcissist or very narcissistic person it depends on the severity of uh, the narcissism or the abuse. Um, if somebody comes to me and I recognize very quickly that I'm dealing with someone who is narcissistic, uh, I work very carefully to have the spouse see the behaviors play out in my office, right? I can't say, okay, he's a narcissist. You need to go, right? That's going to put them in danger, right? Mm -hmm. Potentially. Um, so I provide a lot of support um, to the partner uh, if the narcissist is displaying behaviors uh, that are aggressive, that are disrespectful, um, I will look to the partner and say, this is how he feels. This is what he thinks. This is how he thinks it's okay to talk to you. Is that okay with you? And, and, uh, to try and have them have that level of insight or level of, um, self-awareness in the moment in my office. Um, there have been situations where I've contacted um, the patient um, after the session and and shared uh, great concerns if I felt that they were in danger. Mm. Um, I have confronted um, uh, people in my office and said uh, said things to them about their egregious behavior. Um, but it's better if I work with somebody individually mm. um, so that they can, or what will happen, let me, let me restate this. 
and this is a good outcome. They'll come in as a couple. Uh, eventually, the uh, person with the disorder will not want to continue couples therapy. And I will be able to continue working individually mm-hmm. with um, the partner. Uh, that's that's the best scenario. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah, and that made me think that when I feel like couples therapy, at least what I have heard from others, is a thing to consider when the other one either is also at the same time going to the individual therapy or first goes there so they gain the self-awareness about their maybe behavior their kind of problems because i just don't see how it's like it seems so hard to do a couples therapy where the other one is so so defensive so it's like i feel like the individual therapy is like kind of trying to take away those defenses so they are able to work things about the relationship uh, in couples therapy if they ever get to that state. If someone, I agree with you on that. If someone brings their spouse in uh, because they're afraid that they may be narcissistic, um, that in and of itself says to me that they think they're part of the problem, to be honest, that they, this is a couple's issue right? They're part of the problem, but I I know that my spouse has these behaviors. Um, So I have to, when someone comes in as a couple, uh, provide a space where the narcissist feels seen and heard. I -hmm. have to, because they're coming to me. My client is the couple, not the individual. Um, And it's, it is a very uh, thin line to walk. My, my hope is um, once I can identify that this is what is happening, my hope is that, and, and that they don't see, as they don't see success in couples therapy, um, my hope is then that the individual either come to me or I will make a recommendation while they're in couples therapy um, to seek out individual therapy. Uh, with someone else Um, and I will get a release and I will talk to the other therapist seeing that individual and give her some feedback on uh, him or her on what I believe is happening Um, but again I have to assess the level of uh, severity um, and safety if someone's unsafe I'm not going to I'm not going to take a position to just wait. I will find a way to communicate with them what I what I believe they need to do. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Uh, I think today we had some great questions and great, great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this. And thank you, Elizabeth, so much for coming to talk about these questions and giving such insightful, um, practical Uh, advice and I think you explained very well and gave really great answers so thank you so much you are welcome thanks for having me
If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and see you in the next episode.